Good afternoon. I'm John Falchicchio. I'm the Acting Deputy Mayor for Planning and Economic Development, and I want to thank you for joining us uh, for our business community uh, teletown hall. Uh, we've got a really full agenda, so I don't want to speak too long uh, before getting to uh, our, my colleagues and some of our guests, uh, but just wanted to mark since we last uh, were together, uh, we had a really big moment for D.C. Uh, when last Friday uh, the Congress uh, or the House of Representatives uh, passed the D.C. statehood bill, uh, H.R. 51. Uh, and so we want to give a shout-out to our colleagues in the Senior Advisor's Office as well as uh, in the Office of Federal uh, and Regional Affairs uh, just for all their work on the statehood uh, push. Uh, also, uh, last week, we had uh, some excitement in that we moved to phase two uh, and allowed uh, further businesses uh, to begin operations or expand uh, the operations that they had underway. Uh, if you have questions about phase two or want to see all the latest guidance uh, that we have uh, for phase two, you can see it, uh, view it at coronavirus.dc.gov slash phase two. Uh, so we look for uh, updates to be posted about that. Uh, today, the mayor talked about uh, guidance for private gatherings. Uh, we know with the holiday weekend, weekend coming up uh, that people will want to get together, uh, but there uh, is a safe way to do it, and we want to make sure that you have all the latest guidance. So if you go to coronavirus.dc.gov slash phase two, you'll find all the guidance for business operations as well as new guidance about private gatherings. Uh, also, I uh, wanted to make sure that everyone keeps their eye on the budget uh, the mayor proposed her budget uh, a few weeks ago, and now the council committees have done their work. Uh, they'll present uh, the full budget uh, in early July and then take two votes on the budget. Uh, so we ask uh, the business uh, leaders who are on this call to make sure that you keep an eye on that process uh, at uh, the council. Um, and so today we have, a, like I said, a really full agenda uh, where we have uh, Dr. Unique Morris-Hughes, uh, from the Department of Employment Services uh, and some of her colleagues to talk a little bit more about uh, the programs that they have uh, as you try to navigate through the pandemic response and as we think about uh, recovery. I know that uh, the mayor has charged the district's economic recovery team uh, with thinking about all the ways that we can help. And so today we're going to highlight um, some of the ways that uh, we can do that uh, through the Department of Employment Services. Uh, and Unique has uh, joined us today and we know is quite busy uh, because tomorrow also marks July 1st, uh, which is uh, both the first day uh, that the Paid Family Leave Program will go uh, into effect, and it is also the uh, uh, date in which uh, the minimum wage in the District of Columbia will be $15 an hour. And so that uh, process that we started uh, some years ago in the fight for 15 will actually achieve that uh, tomorrow uh, on July 1. And so before we go to Dr. Hughes and uh, and the team at DOES and some of the guests that they have with them, I want to go to Saban Loy Cook to just give you an update on what has been going on in the Business Development Unit in Demphead. Uh, Saban Loy? Thank you so much, Deputy Mayor. Um, so uh, thank you again. It's exciting to be here before you all. And I really just wanted to highlight again the importance of 
this particular conversation today as we think about recovery for businesses uh, and the resources that are available, where it be grants or loans or technical assistance, I think it's important that we also think about uh, our residents and how we are getting them back to work as well uh, and the resources that are available for businesses more specifically as they look to retain their existing team, their staff, and then potentially also uh, hire and bring on and recruit uh, new employees. And so I think there is uh, a, a lot of intersections and uh, interconnectedness between the work that's happening and the resources that we're trying to provide to businesses, and that's the relevance of this conversation today. And while we have uh, Dr. Unique Morris-Hughes here uh, and her team to talk more about some of the resources that our small businesses here can take advantage of as they're thinking about preserving their existing uh, staff uh, and then also opportunities uh, to uh, even attract new talent. So with that, I'd like to uh, go ahead and pass it along to uh, Dr. Unique Morris-Hughes to uh, kick us off. Um, thank you so much, Director Cook and uh, Deputy Mayor Falchicchio. There's one other um, really important activity that occurred that we are in the throes of, which is MBSYEP. Um, and for everybody who is um, watching from home or from their office, um, under the leadership of the mayor, expanded the Marion Barry Summer Youth Employment Program uh, to ages 22 to 24, which is a really, really big deal. Um, and so we started MBSYEP last Monday um, and have had um, an overwhelming and positive response from the business community um, and families as well. Um, so we are, uh, I gotta find a new word for busy. Um, but we we are in the throes of it, um, and so I'll, I'll share a little bit um, about um, what I call some economic tools that we think can not only help um, the business community but um, uh, those employees of the business community uh, uh, as well. Next slide, please. Uh, one more slide. Awesome. So I'll talk a little bit about UI by the numbers and where we're at today. Um, also talk about economic assistance or tools that we have available, um, give a high-level overview of eligibility for UI um, in the age of COVID-19, um, two special provisions that were added through the CARES Act, which is FPUC um, and PUC. Um, I also talked about pandemic unemployment assistance, and then my tax chief, um, Ryan Morley, who is amazing, is going to talk about um, the shared work program and what returning back to work uh, looks like. Um, and then we'll hear from uh, a couple of folks who've had an opportunity to take advantage of the PUA program. Next slide, please. So UI by the numbers, since March 13th, we've had over 116,000 individuals file for unemployment, um, of which 73,000 um, have been paid out, totaling over $618 million um, from the trust fund and from federal reimbursements uh, paid out to individuals who have uh, filed claims. 
And we're currently in the process of uh, processing another uh, 14,000 uh, claims. One of the things that we are paying very, very close attention to um, and potentially uh, uh, preparing for an additional surge is um, we know that the PPP loans come to an end um, and that there may be some individuals who may be out of work um, that need to file uh, for UI, and we may have folks, or we're seeing folks begin to return uh, back to work. So we are preparing ourselves at the D.C. Department of Employment Services potentially um, for an, an, another surge um, uh, in our local economy here. Next slide, please. So economic benefits available at DOES. So we do have economic benefits available, and I will go through them in the next slide. Um, but first, it's important to understand eligibility. Um, in order to be eligible for our traditional UI program, you must have either lost your job through no fault of your own or had your wages or salary limited. Um, now, because of the CARES Act, there are expanded um, eligibility requirements that we've been able to put into place. Um, independent contractors um, and gig workers are also eligible for extended uh, benefits, which I will talk about next. Next slide. So the first, uh, and let me say this, you know, there are so many acronyms in government and uh, not that we needed any more acronyms, um, but I have two more to throw into the mix here, which is FPUC. Um, and PEUC. Um, FPUC is short for Federal Pandemic Unemployment Compensation. Um, and it went into effect March 29th. It ends July 25th. So this is very, very important um, that everybody pays attention to the end date. Um, for FPUC, it's an additional $600 per week on top of current regular UI benefits. So that's what we call a plus up. Um, so it's on top of our maximum weekly benefit, which is currently $444. Um, benefits will be automatically updated if you qualify and if you're currently um, receiving UI benefits. So if you're already receiving them, you didn't have to do anything else to get the additional $600. Um, and it was paid uh, retroactively from the day of the claim um, as uh, early as March 29th. <clears throat> The next is the Pandemic Emergency Unemployment Compensation Program, and that's effective March 29th through December 31st, and it's an additional 13 weeks of UI benefits, plus the $600, which, remember, expires July uh, 25th. So it's really, really uh, important if you know an individual that has been out of work um, to have them go ahead and apply for this extended benefit because they are also eligible in addition to the 13 weeks for an additional $600 per week, which ends July 25th. And then the last is the pandemic unemployment assistance. And so this is if you are not eligible for the traditional UI program. If you're a gig worker, it's 1099. Um, you can apply for PUA. Um, PUA is retroactive back to January 27th and uh, in December 31st, 2020. Um, you are eligible for the additional $600 um, plus up and in order to be found eligible for PUA, you have to go through the regular UI application process. 
um, a requirement in the CARES Act is that you have to not be eligible in order to be eligible. So you have to go through the traditional uh, UI application process. Next slide. So next I'm going to turn it over to my tax chief, Ryan Morley, um, to talk about the district shared work program. Ryan, I'm going to hand it over to you. Thank you, Director. Uh, and good afternoon, everybody. Uh, I definitely relish the opportunity to, to talk about one of my favorite topics, the, uh, the district shared work program. And uh, I absolutely uh, want to take an opportunity uh, to uh, give a shout out to our director, to our, 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 our director of the unemployment program, Monica Madison, uh, and to the entire team at DOES uh, who have been doing extraordinary work uh, in trying to get uh, an unprecedented amount of claim volume in new programs implemented uh, in record time. So I, anytime I have the opportunity, uh, I want to make sure that I shed some light uh, on the DOES family uh, because this work uh, it is truly historic uh, in what we're trying to do. So what is the Shared Work Program? Uh, we're offering the Shared Work Program at DOES as a voluntary option for district employers uh, to provide an alternative to layoffs for businesses confronted with a temporary decline in business uh, and those that are also experiencing uh, a reduction in available work. Uh, the Shared Work Program, uh, it's been around since 2010, uh, and it established, it's established under the district's unemployment insurance program. The principle behind shared work is simple. Instead of laying off a percentage of your workforce as an employer to reduce cost, an employer could reduce employees' hours by the same percentage and keep the entire workforce on the job. So I wanted to go through some of the advantages uh, for employers uh, of enrolling in, in what is a voluntary shared work program in the district. Uh, you have the opportunity to keep your skilled trained workers. Uh, you maintain product and service quality levels with your skilled workforce. Uh, skilled and trained workforce is available when business demand increases, and I, and I know that we're all hoping that happens very soon, safely. Uh, you get to avoid the time and expense of hiring and training new employees, and you maintain employee morale by avoiding layoffs and keeping workers on the job. Now, on the employee side, what are some of the advantages of the Shared Work Program? It provides continuous employment by reducing hours instead of total unemployment if laid off. Employees can continue to work and earn wages, and at the same time, they will receive a portion of unemployment insurance benefits. It helps employees maintain skills while working the reduced hours, and it allows for the continuation of health care and retirement benefits. Also, it avoids the difficulties uh, related to layoffs and finding another job. So what's involved in the application process for shared work? District of Columbia employers can apply for the Shared Work Program by visiting uh, the DOES website and specifically the Shared Work Program page at www.does.dc.gov. Uh, employers will submit an application that includes the affected unit or units that you would like covered under your Shared Work Plan, the number of full or part-time workers in the affected unit, the percentage of workers in the unit covered by your Shared Work Plan, and an estimated number of layoffs that would be averted by the shared work plan going into effect. 
In addition, employers in, in the application process, uh, you would have to certify that your usual weekly hours worked by eligible employees and the percentage their hours will be reduced. You would also need to provide the plan of how the employer will notify their workers, uh, including collective bargaining unit uh, individuals, if that is applicable to your particular business. Uh, you would also have to have the plan's expected start and end dates as a part of the application process. And then any other documents or, or verification information that we would need to render a determination uh, as it relates to your shared work program application. And with that, I will throw it back to you, Director. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate that. Um, it's a really great program, and we encourage businesses to take advantage of it. So please visit the does.dc.gov website um, to learn more about how you can submit an application. Um, returning back to work, so as the district begins the, pro the process of phase reopening of the city, um, DOES is uh, striving to prevent fraud and ensuring that claimants are not continuing to claim benefits when they've been offered suitable work. Um, if there is a reason to believe a refusal or a suitable work has occurred, we want people to um, be, to be prepared to submit um, a copy of the written offer and contact us. Um, so we can help you navigate your way returning back to work. Um, this is also very, very important because we are in the process of having employers um, contact us um, and uh, provide information to us about uh, their employees that are returning back to work. So we want to make sure that everybody understands um, what is at play, how you can return back to work, and if there are any issues that prevent you from returning back to work so there will not be a disruption um, of any of the benefits uh, that we have outlined today. Next slide, please. Um, just to go over a few other uh, details, um, if an individual is asked to come back to work and if they do refuse um, to accept suitable work without cause, benefits could uh, be interrupted. Um, some of the factors that we use to determine suitable work include uh, physical fitness and prior training, experience, earnings of the claimant, um, distance of the place of work and the claimant's residence, um, and risk involved as health, safety, um, and in some cases even uh, morals or uh, religion. What's not considered a good, a good cause uh, includes differences in wages and hours of work, meaning if you were uh, working with an employer at a business and you were pay being paid one wage, you're asked to come back, but your wages decrease, um, that is not necessarily considered um, not a good cause. We do want you to contact us to help you navigate these issues, um, but that could be um, not considered a good cause. Um, differences in locality of work and transportation of facilities are adequate, economical, and reasonably distant. Um, a temporary physical disability, which does not substantially interfere with the ability to work, and objections to employer or fellow uh, workers. Um, for more information about how to return back to work, um, we do ask you to visit the does.dc.gov UI webpage to learn more about uh, returning back to work. 
So, um, Director Quick, we're going to turn it back over to you. Okay. Thank you so much, Director Moishis. Uh, I am uh, actually going to pivot to the Deputy Mayor, and I know we're going to just answer, ask a couple of questions, uh, but I would like to uh, pass it along to the Deputy Mayor. Um, I know we want to also, uh, we have uh, some viewers watching, uh, some folks listening on the phone as well. Uh, if you are on the phone line and you have a question, uh, if you press the zero, uh, that'll allow us to see you and put you in the queue to ask a question. Uh, so just press zero now uh, if you have a question. Um, and uh, Director and Ryan, really interested in the shared work program uh, because I know it. Uh, we've done a lot of work in in terms of uh, where we are with unemployment insurance and where we are uh, with the uh, pandemic unemployment assistance, uh, getting the word out about those. Shared work seems like one that is, uh, takes a, a few more steps and really is kind of incumbent on the business to navigate it. Can you tell us kind of as people are thinking about shared work, how do they kind of think about the typical length that they can enroll? Uh, so I know you said that your plan has to have a start date and an end date. Um, how long do people typically enroll their business and their employees in that program? And then also, does, do the employees have to opt in? Uh, can you kind of talk through some of the specifics of that? Maybe Ryan? Yeah, sure. Uh, sorry. The, I'll take the second question first. For the employees, it, it's a requirement for employers if they have plans to uh, move forward with a shared work plan or have plans to submit an application, uh, that they inform their employees that they are also, especially the employees that, are, that would be a part of the affected unit, uh, that they want to have a percentage of reduction on. Uh, so that, that is actually imperative and it's a requirement of the program that employees are, not are notified by the employer, the shared work employer, uh, and if they are a part of a, collected, a collective bargaining unit, uh, that they have a, there's a specific template that can be found on our website, uh, and it's also available in the application process uh, for them to provide that documentation to their union representative so that they are also aware and that documentation is pr provided for our records uh, as well. Now, in terms of length, uh, your shared work plan is effective the date that we render a determination that your shared work plan is approved. And it is approved for the period of one year, one calendar year from the effective date. Wow. Great. And um, are there reasons why, uh, what are the kind of the typical reasons why uh, applications are accepted? or why they're, uh, what are the typical problems that people run into in terms of getting their application accepted? Great question. Uh, well, first, I, I wanna make sure that everybody's aware that uh, the program guidance, the shared work program guidance is available uh, uh, on the DOES website, www.does.dc.gov under the shared work uh, part of the website. Uh, all of the eligibility requirements for employers are available uh, via the employer guidance that is on our website. But in, in my experience, uh, what I am seeing is employer noncompliance being a barrier, uh, ensuring that employers are up-to-date and current with any of their unemployment insurance tax obligations. Uh, and that, uh, just to break it down, is 
that they're timely with their wage reporting and they're timely with their remittance of any tax dollars that are due uh, on their UI tax accounts. Uh, that, for the most part, has been resolved, but it could lead to a, a denial. But we also, you also as an employer have the opportunity, especially now uh, during this pandemic period, to reapply uh, once those issues have been resolved. Director and Ryan, I had a, a, another curious question. Is there a minimum number of employees uh, that you have to have in order to apply for the shared work um, program? It, uh, it has to be yeah, uh, no less than one. It can't, it has to be less than, or more than one. It can't just be one person. And what kind of, uh, just kind of building on that question, what typically, what kind of businesses have applied or participate in the program? Um, are they generally larger employers? Are they those smaller employers that you just alluded to? Uh, what's sort of the typical applicant? Mm -hmm. it, it runs the gamut. Uh, we have uh, large employers. We have uh, some smaller employers. Uh, what I'm seeing is a lot of doctor's offices, small businesses, mm -hmm. uh, dentist offices, uh, all the way up to sports franchises. So it, it really it runs the range. Are you saying John Wall it's is a on a diverse. shared work program? <laughs> not not <to> himself. <laughs> it is a very diverse group of employers that have submitted applications. It really does run the gamut. Great. And how long can uh, people expect, once they do apply, to hear back uh, from DOES? Well, uh, by statute, we have 15 days to render a determination. Uh, from application, but as, as we have uh, staff that are moving towards being dedicated just uh, for the processing and review of applications, uh, we are getting those things turned around because we understand uh, the urgency uh, of getting these plans in place. And given the somewhat com complex nature and the amount of information uh, that's needed for the shared work plan, uh, we want to make sure that that uh, you as the employer, the employer community is on the same page with us. We have all that we need in terms of the documentation, so it will be a very smooth process uh, to get you moved through and to get uh, your employees back in the door. Got it. Well, so I know there's going to be other questions, so if uh, any of the listeners have a question, they can press zero uh, to ask a question about shared work or any of the programs uh, that we talked about or really anything that's on your mind. Um, we also have a couple of other guests on the line, so I want to uh, bring them in. There are two participants in the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance uh, Program, uh, and it's uh, Kimberly and John. Uh, Kimberly and John, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Yes. Great. Kimberly, you want to tell us a little bit about your story and how you uh, are navigating the uh, PUA program? Uh, sure. Uh, I am actually a creative entrepreneur uh, in D.C. I own my own firm um, and typically do project work. So the 1099 um, that was mentioned earlier is how I typically, you know, uh, receive my income. Uh, I work as, like I said, I have a creative firm. I work with artists, small businesses, and startups here in the district, uh, and um, just the number of my projects have, just have been 
canceled <laughs> uh, with no definite uh, reschedule. You know, nothing is being rescheduled at this particular time because everything is still up in the air because of the pandemic. So, um, yeah. And Kimberly, what's the name of your uh, firm, if you want to share that with us, too? Um, it's Sunday Expressions Creative. Uh, typically work, again, with artists, small businesses, and startups. I uh, do graphic design and art and arts administration work. Great. And, John, you want to tell us a little bit about your story as well? Yes. Um, so my name is John DeVille. Um, I'm actually a paralegal. I was employed at a plaintiff's employment law firm prior to Corona. Um, so uh, with respect to the courts being closed and that's us not actually being able to file um, motions and things of, things of that nature as it relates to client cases. Um, yeah, I, my hours just went down completely. Um, so because of PUA, because initially, um, I don't, I'm not sure if people are aware, but most legal professionals, like either attorneys or paralegals, were actually 1099 independent contractors. <clears throat> So for the most part, you're not, we're not actually eligible or automatically qualified uh, for typical benefits such as unemployment insurance and things of that nature. So um, when, when at the federal level, when uh, the 600 plus was implemented, I was absolutely ecstatic. Um, you know that that would be um, something that would be uh, I would be able to actually benefit from at the local level from DOES and with respect to um, being in receipt of the benefits. I believe that it only took about a week and a half, and I've been receiving benefits ever since. <laughs> yeah, I think it took the same amount of time. I I did apply because I didn't know what, you know, there was a rumor mill. It was like, okay, they're going to do PUA. They're not going to, you know. So I, I applied in mid-March for traditional unemployment insurance with the hope that, you know, everything will be organized and ready for the PUA, um, and I think by, well, when the application came out, I guess that was like the 24th of April or so, I think by that next week, I had my first um, payment, so from a Friday to Friday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And have you, how have you been thinking about sort of like uh, returning to work or what you might do next as you kind of weather uh, the pandemic, have you been thinking about, we talk with our small business owners uh, a lot about their pivot. Have you, th have you thought about that as well? Uh, definitely pivot is not a strange word in these times. Uh, so I'm looking towards more passive ways of income um, as well as possibly starting a new business which uh, would actually be more in the realm of essential items. Um, uh, so from that to also, um, just I'm still engaging my, my clients that I initially worked with, uh, who are, you know, at this time just, you know, being tight on their wallet as everyone, you know, really should be, um, because you don't know, uh, from day to day what is really happening. So, I'm still engaging them and trying to help them figure out ways that they can pay me <laughs> and actually help them figure out ways that, you know, 
would not be uh, so scary in this in this time. And John, how about you? Um, so with respect to, I guess, getting back to uh, normal, um, as soon as, I guess, the courts are able to actually implement, um, I guess, safety measures and protocols with respect to uh, them actually being open at full capacity, um, that's really where I'm at with everything. Um, but until then, I'm, I've been um, in contact with multiple attorneys um, outside of my uh, firm. Uh, and just trying to see what I can pick up as far as, like, contract work um, and assist them with um, wills and estates and things of that nature. Great. Um, and I know that uh, uh, sometimes we're referred to uh, as the District of Champions uh, because <laughs> of the success of some of our franchises. Uh, the mayor recently has been saying that we're also going to be the District of Comebacks. Uh, so we look forward to <laughs> keeping in touch with you and uh, John and Kimberly just to hear about your comebacks, too, and how you individually uh, rebound from this and uh, from what you said and uh, your uh, really your drive to kind of navigate this program early on. Uh, we know that you'll be part of the district's comeback, uh, but also we can't wait to hear more about your individual comebacks as well. Absolutely. I'm excited about that as well. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So what we're going to do is we're going to uh, go to the phone lines just to take some questions uh, from uh, those who've been listening in. So I want everybody who's uh, – John, Kimberly, please stick with us. Uh, and then uh, Ryan and Unique, uh, don't go anywhere because I know Ryan and Unique, hopefully uh, these questions uh, are all for you guys. And Sabangloy and I can just keep learning more uh, today. So first we'll go to um, – we're going to go to Caroline. Uh, and Caroline, your line is open, and I'm told you have a question about the Shared Work Program. Uh, yes. Can you hear me? Yes. I was just wondering um, for businesses what the impact of the shared work program may, uh, what impact it may have our, on our unemployment insurance tax rates if we have um, employees that will be added to the program. I'll, I'll take that. So right now, under the emergency legislation that was passed, uh, for rated employers, there, there is no charge to the experience rating for future years for charges that are coming under the pandemic period right now. Under regular circumstances, the, the charges would be assigned to your account, but they would be at a much lower level because you would only be charged for partial benefits instead of uh, it being a, a total layoff, and then you would be charged for the full amount of the weekly benefit uh, the weekly benefits that are paid to the eligible claimants. So right now, under the pandemic period, there's no, there's no charges being assigned uh, under regular unemployment and shared work on unemployment uh, to rated employer accounts. And Ryan, I know uh, this could be an unknown, but does that extend for the full year? Because you said that the plan could be as long as a year. If they establish a shared work program, do the rate uh, structure stay the same uh, throughout the whole year? Do we know just well, yet? Well, it, it, it's kind of a mixture between local legislation and then federal guidance. The local legislation, the, the coverage uh, in terms of the, the charging for rated employers, that is tied to the mayor's declaration of the public health emergency in the district. 
but we also have been granted uh, uh, federal funding from DOL through through 1231. So really, it, it's it's kind of a mixture of both. But through 1231, uh, we there should not be any charges to the, the rated accounts of employers. Now, it gets a little bit more complicated when you bring in reimbursing uh, employers or, or those that pay dollar for dollar uh, for the benefits that we disperse, uh, you are charged and what we expect back is uh, for the amount that we have paid out of the trust fund already. Uh, but that guidance is spelled out uh, in our, uh, our materials, our, our share work program materials. Uh, and I would encourage everybody, if there are questions about the Share program, to go to the agency website. Uh, and if there are questions uh, specific to your individual business, you can always uh, email the Shared Work inbox. It's shared.work at dc.gov. Great. And if uh, we have any listeners with questions, uh, you can still press zero now to get into the queue. Uh, so if you press zero, that will allow you to get into the queue. Uh, Unique, can you tell us a little bit, too, about, uh, obviously, a big program that takes off tomorrow, uh, paid family leave. What can people expect, and uh, where can they find uh, the latest guidance uh, on the program? Yep, certainly. So um, tomorrow morning we will um, implement phase two of the last 18 months of work for um, the paid family leave program. Um, Let's see, uh, tomorrow morning what people can expect um, is the Paid Family Leave Benefits Administration System live where individuals can begin to file claims to receive um, a Paid Family Leave benefit um, either um, uh, eight weeks for uh, bonding, so that's what we call traditionally a maternity or paternity leave, um, uh, six weeks for significant health uh, concern and two weeks for um, essentially sick leave. Um, it is a, an easy to use um, website. Um, you can also file a claim over the phone. One of our greatest lessons learned from UI um, is to overprepare with call takers. Um, so we have um, a call center full of individuals um, ready, waiting, and trained up to take claims exclusively um, for paid family leave. There are videos, there are graphics, there's employer handbooks, employee handbooks. Um, every sort of resource that you can possibly think of is on the DC Paid Family Leave um, .dc.gov website um, available for individuals. But the website goes, uh, the actual benefits administration system goes live um, uh, tomorrow. And then additionally, we're still collecting um, tax. So we are starting uh, our tax collection, tax for PFL for the quarter. Uh, I believe it would be for Q2 and uh, July 30th. So that is ongoing um, and happening. Um, we anticipate probably close to 30,000 applicants this year um, seeking benefits um, for paid family leave. Great. Well, um, it sounds like it's uh, well uh, in hand, and it sounds like the website, uh, again, is the best place to check that out. Uh, 
unique. I hate to put you on the spot, but do you know the phone number, too, for people uh, to call if they do have uh, questions about the paid family leave program? I think Ryan is going to pull it up for me. Maybe Ryan, no? Well, while we do that, while we do that, uh, I know that uh, Commissioner Patel uh, is on the line from uh, ANC 2A. Uh, So, Commissioner Patel, uh, can you hear me now? Uh, Commissioner? Hi, this is Commissioner Patel. They They just connected us. I can hear you. Oh, fantastic. And you had a question about PUA assistance and return to work? Uh, Yes, I did. Um, So I have a constituent of mine who is classified as a 1099 worker, and I just went ahead and helped her process her her PUA application. And the two questions I have is because we just started her process, processing her PUA on Friday night, I told her to call uh, DOES on Wednesday to make sure everything flows through correctly. I wanted to know, one, how long it was going to take for them to process her PUA application because I just don't want her there to be a break in um, her filing her paperwork. Obviously, I couldn't file for this coming week because we just submitted all of her paperwork on Friday. So that's question number one. And then question number two, she has returned to her employer, but she is now in a part-time capacity, not a full-time capacity due to the um, – due to the fact that it's it, we're in phase two, so they don't have the same amount of uh, business and consumer traffic coming in and out of her place of employment. Um, so thank you, Commissioner Patel, for that, that question. It sounds like her case may be a little complicated. The reason why I said that is because for PUA, um, PUA is traditionally for, um, you, you know, 1099 gig workers, and we don't necessarily call the individuals they're working with as their employers. Um, and so since you have uh, said that the person uh, has returned back to work and is part-time, um, it sounds like that claim may be a little complicated. Um, so I don't want to give an exact uh, number of days um, in which the person can expect um, uh, the, the final processing and monetary determination of their claim. We tell people up to 21 days, um, but as you can see from the two individuals that were here, uh, our guest panelists, um, they had theirs processed in a week. So it really depends on the complexity of your case, um, how you, the documentation you have to prove income, um, and if you're currently working, um, I think that is another factor that could be complex. What I'm happy to do is um, uh, we can, if you could shoot me an email, we'd be happy to have someone look into it um, and have uh, the pers- uh, have someone from my team work with the individual. Thank you so much, Director. Um, uh, as the Deputy Mayor also mentioned, please uh, feel free if you have any questions to press zero so that we can put you into the queue. Uh, but I did have another question for you, Ryan, or the, or the director, and it's related to the shared work program. Well, it, based on the – it's a two-part question, actually. Uh, how many people, how many businesses so far have been enrolled and through the, the numbers that you have? Are there any best practices or, or information that you guys have been able to glean by uh, the enrollments that you currently have 
uh, on deck now. All right. Well, let, let me let, let me go back uh, quickly because I have the number for PFL. Uh, I want to make sure that I communicate that. It's, it's 202-899-3700. And that, again, is 202-899-3700 for any questions about uh, our, our wonderful Office of Paid Family Leave. Uh, so as it relates to shared work, uh, we have received, as of this morning, uh, roughly 60 applications, uh, and it's a little bit over 60 or 75% of those have been approved and are now going through uh, the review and, uh, and approval process because we also have to get uh, documentation signed in, in, in the form of a uh, memorandum of agreement. Uh, there's different information that has to be provided to the employer, uh, such as a, a a master file that can that the employer will submit to DOES on a weekly basis uh, that has the employees that are a part of the affected unit that they indicated. Uh, we need to know who those people are. So right now we are in the stage of of working directly with our approved shared work employers to to set them up uh, for the shared work plan uh, and, and making sure that we work out any kinks that they might be experiencing uh, and answering any questions that they have. Uh, as far as best practices, I would definitely say, as, as I said before, uh, to ensure that employers are up to date uh, with their tax filings and the remittance, remittance of any payments on the UI tax side that are due. Um, that, that is of utmost importance, especially uh, as it relates to having the wages on file. Uh, if, we ha if employers have missing reports uh, in, in our system, and that's what we have on our record, that will only impact your own employees because we won't have those wages uh, to determine their monetary eligibility, which will only delay uh, the disbursement of any payments that were due uh, under regular, regular UI or shared work uh, benefits. Uh, so making sure that that's in place, and then making sure that there's a, a, a plan. Uh, what I'm seeing in working with a lot of the employers on shared work is uh, – that they understand the purpose of the program, they understand its utility, uh, but there, there's, there's not a clear understanding of the guidance, and that's what we're here for. So we want to make sure that uh, any employer that has questions, that they're emailing us, share.work at dc.gov, uh, so we can walk you through uh, the process and make sure that you as the employer have a plan in place uh, for how you want to operate uh, within the confines and the requirements of the program. So we're always here to help. We're always uh, here to answer any questions you may have in order to get uh, to facilitate uh, what, what we think is just an amazing program that can do a lot of good in the city. Well, one thing I've been impressed by with uh, uh, our partners in district government is really uh, a willingness to work with applicants uh, across the board. And so it sounds like for shared work, we have that spirit of cooperation as well. We're not there to just kind of give it a yes or no, but we're actually there to try to make your application successful. So, Ryan, sounds like you all have taken on the same similar sort of spirit of uh, cooperation with the folks who apply. Absolutely. Great. Uh, so we have um, a question from social media about uh, how we see Phase 2 developing uh, in D.C. And so we started with Phase 2 uh, just last Monday. 
Uh, and so far, uh, really kind of across the board, uh, whether it was during uh, our period of stay at home in phase one and now in phase two, we've seen a lot of uh, compliance with the guidance that we put out uh, uh, from the public health officials. So DC Health has worked really hard on making sure that the guidance is as clear as possible on coronavirus.dc.gov slash phase two in order for individuals, whether they're residents or businesses or employees, to be able to follow that guidance and make sure that we all stay safe. Obviously, wearing a mask is one of the best ways uh, that we can help our uh, neighbors and our city get through this, uh, but also that hygiene that we talked about early on, washing your hands often uh, with soap and water, all of that uh, is helpful and accrues to our benefit. What we've also seen is that uh, businesses have been pretty clear uh, with their employees that uh, and their uh, customers that this is kind of our shared responsibility. And so uh, for the folks who are listening, we want to thank you for that uh, because it is so important that we keep reinforcing uh, the rules and the guidance, uh, not simply so that we can have something to enforce, uh, but that, that we do see compliance. So I know uh, I've seen it when I've gone out to uh, restaurants or uh, even to some of our uh, streeteries uh, where we've seen restaurants expand out into uh, the sidewalks or the alleys or uh, even the streets uh, in order to uh, expand their capacity. We've seen people take seriously uh, the social distancing, the mask wearing, and the disinfection slash infection control that we really need to see. Uh, so we have another question uh, from uh, someone, I guess, on social media as well, asking about the biggest challenges during COVID. Um, that's actually an interesting question. Uh, the biggest uh, challenges, I think, well, I'll go to Unique next. But for me, I think the biggest challenges have just been understanding uh, the public health uh, guidance and how you kind of break that down into uh, uh, guidance that people can use. So, for example, a restaurateur uh, was asking me about uh, mask wearing, and uh, I'm looking over uh, at Mike uh, from Octo, who helps us uh, maintain the website and make sure that uh, we keep uh, the guidance updated as uh, frequently as possible. But that um, uh, restaurateur was saying that it's easier for them to say, if you're on your feet, you have to have a mask. If you're in your seat, you only can take off your mask when your uh, server, your waiter, uh, waitress is not at the table. And that was like a simple way for people to kind of understand where you have to wear a mask uh, and where you can take it off in order to obviously eat or drink. Um, so I think that a lot of times just that explaining for us is the, the challenge. And then also just making people realize that there is an impact. Sometimes if it doesn't uh, affect us personally, it's hard for us to understand uh, that it is our shared responsibility to wear a mask, to wash our hands often, to really kind of respect the rules of the road uh, when it comes to going to a business or a, a public place. Uh, but I think that uh, overall we've seen a great amount of uh, compliance and uh, the enforcement hasn't had to follow because people have been uh, complying as much as they have. Uh, so Unique, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your toughest challenge uh, during COVID? Yeah. 
Yeah, my, my toughest challenge, and John, this probably will not be a surprise to you, but I wish that our federal partners were as good of uh, partners to us uh, as we are to them. Um, there have been 24 uh, rule or policy changes related to unemployment insurance, um, any of the additional benefit programs that have been provided in the CARES Act, uh, shared work, um, since the pandemic started, and um, we always, uh, you know, gracefully, to the extent possible, um, responsibly and gracefully, we implement the changes. You know, we never talk about how um, challenging it could be to receive policy guidance on the fly from the Fed, um, but it, it has been very, very, very challenging, not just with me, but what not just with DOES in the District of Columbia, um, but other states across this country, um, getting so many policy changes um, during a, a really a state of an emergency when we're trying to get benefit, uh, benefits out the door. Um, and so I, I don't rarely uh, ever talk about it, but I think it's important that people know um, the sort of constraints that we are under um, to seamlessly implement a program, and folks just don't have any idea of how many uh, curveballs uh, were, were thrown. Now, Leslie, I, I work in an agency full of Michael Jordan, um, and so they always rise to the occasion, um, but it, it has, the biggest challenge for us has been um, the constant, confusing, um, nonsensical, non-practical guidance that we get from the Fed sometimes daily on what we should be doing in these programs. You know what? Thank you so much, Director. I think that's really helpful and that you were uh, shared that information. I'm also curious because this is a really good question even for our guests uh, on the phone uh, that spoke to us about their business and the, their experience with PUA. What has been uh, your the, the most challenging thing during COVID for, for you two? <laughs> um, maintaining sanity. I think that has been a challenge. <laughs> but I, I will say that in working um, or in, in processing my PUA, uh, DOES has been, like, amazing. I will definitely say that. Uh, every individual that I've spoken to on the phone um, was just, you know, as helpful as they could be with the information that they had at the time. And I received emails. I received phone calls. I was really appreciative of that. Um, but I, I think a challenge has has been, you know, really trying to pivot what you think your your purpose is. You know, so in serving my uh, purpose in life, if right now I'm, I'm happy to figure out, okay, what does that look like if I've pivoted to um, in this in this time of the pandemic, and how do I still serve the people that I have been charged in my business to serve um, in what this uncertainty looks like? And John. Yeah, uh, I would say the most challenging thing for me would be uh, just trying to 
to find something, trying to stay busy um, in anticipation for the new normal. Um, to pretty much piggyback off what Kimberly said, I, I believe that everyone at DOES was absolutely helpful. Um, every time that I called, I just, you know, was able to get a proper and uh, uh, I would say fast resolution, for lack of a better word. Um, so my, I guess that was like, and still is like uh, my issue uh, with, you know, trying to stay busy and trying to plan ahead after this is over. Well, definitely appreciate uh, John and Kimberly, uh, you sharing your stories today. Uh, like I said, uh, we're going to be the District of Comeback, uh, so we're excited to keep following your stories uh, as we go forward. And so, Sabangle, Ryan, Unique, definitely thank you for your time today. I definitely have to, uh, uh, you know, kind of build off something that Unique said. Uh, there, she said that there were 24 uh, different rule or policy changes, um, and to that I would say the thing that could help us uh, navigate those in the future are another number, and that's two senators. Uh, so we'll keep pushing uh, to be the 51st state. Uh, for now, we just want to thank everybody uh, for the work that you do every day, uh, for sticking together uh, during the pandemic. And I know that it's a holiday weekend, uh, but we really want to encourage everybody to have a safe, uh, healthy, and socially distanced, uh, distanced uh, 4th of July. Uh, so thank you, everybody, for joining today. Uh, we'll make sure that we post information uh, both on uh, the coronavirus.dc.gov uh, website uh, as well as does.dc.gov. So thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.